The following pages were found in a shabby pocketbook, very much sodden and discolored by salt water, tucked away between the crevices of a rock in Blank Bay. Their owner has never been traced, and the most diligent inquiries have failed to discover his identity. Either the wretched man drowned himself near the spot where he hid his pocketbook, and his body has been lost at sea, or he is still wandering about the world, trying to forget himself and his tragedy. Lightning recap. In The Doll by Daphne du Maurier, a man is unhealthily obsessed with the violinist, and the violinist has a doll. Hey, you with a little time. Hey, we've got a little podcast. This is Short Story Short Podcast. I am Christopher J. Garcia here today with Kristen L. Baxter. And, you know, Christy, I really feel like I need to explore the world of internanimates, romance, what do you think I should be reading? Well, if you want to read some messed up stuff involving a man, a woman, and a doll, you should read The Doll by Daphne du Maurier. Now, let's get the story of the story out of the way first. The, this is a story that was lost, supposedly, for 70 years from 1937 through 197 or 2017 and it hadn't been reprinted it's very very out there uh, for what i would have expected from 1937 that's sort of an era that i'm deeply steeped in right now because we've got of course you've got bill soroy and you've got uh, steinbeck henry miller is doing his thing uh writers who are writing stories about things but this is a fascinating story because Daphne du Maurier is a writer of fantastic stuff. Her piece, Rebecca, of course, a classic adapted by Alfred Hitchcock into the movie, Rebecca, also did The Birds, which was adapted into a movie by Alfred Hitchcock. But here, I don't know. It, this feels like a writer who had an idea, who read something that was kind of starting to push the boundaries okay, and then decided I need, to, I need, to, oh. I need to go back. Oh no. <laughs> I've, been, I've been like, any minute now I'm going to get a chance. Do you understand the layers of irony of this story that it's that classic Gothic literature found text and it's also a classic Gothic literature found text? Correct. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I just can't. My brain cannot handle that at all. I'm just, it's just insane to me that this story about a story that got lost, got lost and then got found. (laughs) I've been trying to invent my own literary word uh, that describes what happens when you're watching a play outdoors and the weather reinforces the action of the play. Like if you're watching uh, 
Othello and the wind comes up at the exact right time with the flags and everything. Uh, whatever or that like word the, is going to be. Hmm? Or like the time I saw Weezer play, uh, play Africa and it started raining. <laughs> Legit oh. happened, actually happened. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> it was amazing. And we were soaking wet all night, but it was amazing. <laughs> Well, wow, you've seen Weezer a lot more recently than I have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think the last time I saw Weezer, and I was on a Weezer podcast once called We Are Weezer. It's a wonderful one. Um, check the show notes. I'm not going to do show notes. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, and this has that sort of existentially. <laughs> it's being brought out to us, except for we know what happened to Daphne DeMaillet. We know, you know, where she wasn't lost at sea and it washed up with that classic gothic. Uh, that forward is perhaps the single most gothic literature <laughs> thing it's I have ever gothic-iest. read. <laughs> the gothiciest, especially that it's signed by Dr. E. Strongman. <laughs> <laughs> As it is very, very, it's almost self-consciously goth- gothic, especially in the way that it, it excuses uh, the author or warns the reader or maybe both about the ending. You know, it mm-hmm. sp- specifically calls it out as being an abrupt and unsatisfactory termination. And I'm like, she totally wrote the foreword after she wrote the story and was like, here we go. <laughs> That'll get me out of it. <laughs> So what you're saying is she's smart. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, precisely. Yeah. And I think that that conceit on this story actually makes it more powerful because one, it very much plays with the bit. And if it's just she was being lazy, because I, I kind of think she probably started writing it and was like, no, nah, I got a way to make it even more amped up. Or what it could be even is that she had been reading something that was being written at the time or even a little earlier, because this reads a lot like something by uh, William Hope Hodgson in particular is sort of what the, the sensations brought up for me. Uh, things like was it the connoisseur, no, Karnacki, the Karnacki stories that have uh, sort of gothic overtones, but they're playing with ideas of modern writing and typically when writers did this, and you saw this occasionally from, you saw from Jack London even, where you'd have a piece written that was referencing back to something from the adventure stories of the, of the mid 19th century. But he would do it in the style of an adventure story of the late 19th, early 20th century. And that, that, that feels like what's happening here, except I really think she was reading something and wrote this as a reaction to it because it started down the path and she took it all the way down the path. Mm. Yeah, she takes it all the way down the path. All right. (laughs) (laughs) So let's just get this out of the way. Okay. So what is happening is what I think is happening, right? She's doing it with the doll. (laughs) (laughs) To paraphrase... Shakes the Clown, the Citizen Kane of Clown films. Something tells me at the end of this story, she's going to fuck that little doll. Yep. Well, there you go. Mm -hmm. 
Yes. Okay. All right. I just wanted to make sure because sometimes I don't trust my own readings and interpretations. And so I literally have in my notes, um, is she doing it with the doll, Julio? Question mark. Because yes, this whole story is a man obsessing over a woman to the extent that I want to punch him in the face. I'm getting so sick of his bullshit. <laughs> and then we get to the part where he he sees her with a doll. And it, it's hinted at, of course, in that sort of uh, literature, this is not, you know, erotica, we're not gonna come out and say it explicitly way, which erotica where a woman is doing it with a doll would be, that's probably out there already, I'm just gonna guess. So, but, and yeah, you just have this, this sense of unreality, but I guess you also have this sense of, he is definitely, in addition to being an unlikable narrator, he's an unreliable narrator. So we don't know, really. I am guess I'm going back and saying, I don't know if she's, if she's fucking the doll. Yeah, that's a very good point. With a couple of interesting little notes here that she takes it. I mean, you could also read it that, she's just hanging out with the doll and he can only process it as uh, this is why she's not mine. Yeah. Um, that's the other possibility. Although I think, I think she was a little too pointed for that to be the, <laughs> the surreality that's going on in it. I really True. think it is. I really think it is. She was, she was getting down. And Julio liked it a lot. Um, <laughs> rewriting this story from Julio's point of view would be hilarious. Oh my God. And it's our listener's happen. assignment for this week. <laughs> yes, you absolutely have to do this, listeners. We want to see your versions of this story from the point of view of Julio, the 16-year-old uh, sex doll of Rebecca the Violinist. There's a, all those words came together and made a sentence. And that was the first time in history that that sentence was ever made. Quite possibly. This is again, uh, if you're looking at the history of our podcast, which has been on for more than a year now, uh, I think this is episode 56, you see echoes of a whole bunch of stuff we've read for the one that really gets me is there is so much of Poe in this in particular the telltale heart except yes. it's the it's the inverse and that's what i love about it yeah i think they were kind of uh i really want to know what the world would have been like if if those two if, if daphne du maurier and poe could have met i i want to know i want to live in the world where that could have possibly happened even though they were both products of completely different times they still they seem like they would have been uh they would have been instant best buds <laughs> <laughs> and what i like about this is there is that slightly open-ended ending but what we're really given is an open-ended middle yeah yeah, agreed. And that has so many possibilities. Uh, it also harkens back to one of my favorite quotes of all time, American lives have no second acts. Um, mm -hmm. But what's super powerful here, again, is the writing. And 
I don't know if we're supposed to think this is the ravings of a madman or the perfectly realistic, uh, finally realized ravings of a guy who is supposedly driven mad. At least in um, his own head. Yeah, I think I think it's the ravings of a madman. A, a madman who's really... Uh, Probably should have been a hairstylist because he's he's obsessed with not only with her but also with her damn hair. I mean, oh yeah. Oh, let's talk about the hair thing. So, because <laughs> uh, this drove me nuts, this drove me crazy. Also, there's a little bit of uh, good good old old timey racist terminology in here. Uh, flinging off her cap as she turned, her hair sprung from her head like a savage. First of all, loves to use that word when referring to her hair. It happens again later, uh, mm-hmm. her massive queer savage hair springing from her head. It's, it's, that's a little, I wonder if maybe this, this story, I don't know the full story of this story being found, but I wonder if it uh, needed to go through another editing pass or two in order to get some of that repetition out. <laughs> Just saying. Or was it a stylistic uh, choice? <laughs> or, or maybe, yeah, it could be. Very well could be. Sometimes repetition is a stylistic choice. You're absolutely right. And so, but it, there is this weird obsession with hair. And it's also like the hair gravity feels wrong. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just because I have very straight hair with no texture whatsoever. It's just straight and uh, it's there. <laughs> and it's very fine. But it just feels like her hair sticking out a sort of fur bush round her head and hair springing up all the time. I mean, I guess she must have had like a lot of bouncy curls maybe, but it's just, it's, it's a world that I, with my pathetic, pitiful, non-springing hair, just cannot imagine. Yeah, I have the hair of a, of a Greek statue which will get, if I let it be shorter, will actually puff out around me in what some call a Jew fro, uh, which is accurate, sadly. (laughs) (laughs) But I love how the description in here is pretty hot and heavy for the 30s. My favorite paragraph in this A hot wave of something swept over me. The floor seemed to swing beneath my feet. She clung to me and kissed my throat. I could feel her fingers at the back of my neck. I let her hands wander over my body and she kissed me again. It was devastating. It was madness. It was like death. Damn. Yeah, that's that's a beautiful section. And that is also, you're right, that's definitely a little bit more explicit than they normally got during the the days of the Hays Code, or I'm not entirely sure exactly what year this was written, but it would have been, you know, when that kind of mentality was was acceptable and rife to, to censor, it, you know, anything even remotely hinting at sex. But yeah, it definitely, uh, we do have that explicit, that, that sort of strange explicitness, but then we also have the, the backing away that the author does by using, again, that found story aspect saying you know like much of this seems completely unintelligible and then like this is broken sentences and half-formed ideas then the narrative narrative continues and it just says it was shattering she let me kiss her again and again it's like wait a second (laughs) 
Like you just you just faded to black over the sex scene. <laughs> yeah. I think there's some really great stuff here that even if you don't go way down into the weeds, what you start to find is that there is when she decides to focus on being I don't want to say cutting edge because even Henry Miller was already around. There was already things happening that were well beyond this in the mainstream. But I felt like when she decided to pull back, she was decidedly making a point that I'm going to move forward a traditional story here. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. She, she was making that point. She was making that decision and it's, it's not any, of her like shying away from anything. It's her wanting to stick to the conventions of the genre. Yeah, I think you're right. And this is, this is Poe-esque for sure. It has elements of a lot of what we were seeing in sort of the bigger markets. It's, I don't know if I would call it genre. Sub? What, what do you mean? You, you don't know if you would call the story a genre story or if you would call gothic lit a genre? <laughs> Both and also neither. <laughs> okay, so what exactly do you mean? I think that this story isn't necessarily a genre story. And I think one of the ways that uh, gothic literature has evolved, there was an entire branch that basically got subsumed into the mainstream And part of the reason for that is that Poe was become accepted by and the follower on of Poe started to get accepted by. And this is far less, you know, Lovecraft where modern horror and even you could argue modern fantasy starts. Uh, And you have Hodgson and the others on the other side, which are more mainstream, but still kind of genre. So it's sort of that fuzzy area that I always worry about. I think because I think this is definitely a genre. Um, I, I feel like that aspect of madness that gives us a sense of unreality is honestly what gives it the, the genre flavor. I mean, it's not heavy, it's not steeped, but it's, I'd say it's still a genre. That's just my opinion. Totally agree. Totally agree. Yeah. What else you got on this one there, Christy? Um, just, uh, (laughs) I guess I just, I I noted when I got to the end, I said, and there's the abrupt ending. Can't say we weren't warned, (laughs) (laughs) but I still managed the entire way to think that maybe we were going to get some sort of resolution. I honestly thought he was going to kill her or maybe kill Julio or something. Even I kind of totally forgot everything from the beginning and then i think the main reason is is because of how dramatic dr e strongman was when he says you know uh calls it the wild improbabilities of the story and you know is is the man uh wandering about the world trying to forget himself and his tragedy and it it just feels like it feels over dramatic to yeah. say that stuff about what actually happened because he fell in love with a girl who may or may not have actually uh, been 
truly in love with a, a doll. And then that's it. And then she, she disappeared. But if that, that feels, tragedy feels a little, a little much. <laughs> yeah, this is, this is a story that feels rot. <laughs> and yes. And I think depending on how you approach this, it's either overwrought or exceptionally overwrought. <laughs> yes, one of the two for sure. Like this is definitely, this would be a bad week. I'll say that. That would be a, would be a bad week, sure. But to call it a tragedy, I feel like is a little, hmm, it's a bit making much. that word do too much work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, a beautifully written story by a writer who I really want to look into more now because I've read mm. I've read The Birds. And I think I even read Rebecca back in the day, but this is a area that I'm not aware of at all. And I I want more of this. Yeah, I do enjoy Gothic lit. I think I had a, a Gothic lit phase in, during like undergrad at some point. I, I feel like it was my senior year. And that's when I came upon Rebecca. And then also later um, the next year, I think, watched the movie when we were having a a classic movie phase and so yeah absolutely i, I want to get in more into her short stories because i haven't read very many of them and i'm curious to see where they go i think it's interesting to see how how writers can either just practice their craft the same as they do everywhere else in short stories or be completely different some one of these days actually we should have done for spooky month but next year Ellen Montgomery, the author of Anne of Green Gables, has written some dark short stories. I have so many, so many inappropriate comments right now. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> Didn't she write the original screenplay for Saw? Uh, <laughs> it was more uh. Canadian, though. Yes. Hey, hey, Christy. Hey, hey, yeah. What are we going to watch, read next week? <laughs> we are going to read a perfectly normal interview with Carmen Maria Machado where everything is fine by Theodore McCombs. Nice. Longest title yet. <laughs> I do believe so. Yeah. It's had some competition though. That's true. Yes. Well, anyhow, I'm fairly certain this has been short story. I'm pretty sure it's also been short podcast. Ding!